listeners, I have good news. West Stories has a brand new Facebook page, so now you can like and follow and everything else to show your love and to stay in the loop for each new episode. So check that out, and also feel free to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. Now for a content warning before you enjoy the story. This episode discusses sexual assault and mental illness, and also briefly mentions self-harm, disordered eating behaviors, and suicide. And while we're at it, just a reminder that if you ever have questions or concerns about any of our stories, you can write to me via Facebook or email. I'd love to hear from you. Now, please enjoy the story. Whenever I've experienced any triggering things in the past, it's pushed me to fear instead of empowerment. And this was the first time that I was in a triggering situation and I, I was empowered. Welcome to West Stories, a podcast for the strange, the small, the silly, and the secret stories we tell ourselves, now told anonymously to you by the people who lived them and are living them still. So, I am part of a group that runs a really poppin' dance show on campus every semester, and I've been involved in this group every semester that I've been at Wesleyan, and it's really a core part of who I am as a student here, and where I feel like I've kind of made the most solid impact on campus. I've met so many people through it. The show's all about inclusivity and making sure everyone is confident and has a space where they can dance and perform and celebrate their body. And it's very sex positive. It's very body positive. It's just this really important space that doesn't exist elsewhere in the dance community and welcomes anybody who wants to dance to have the opportunity to dance. Everybody who auditions gets in. So it's really a rare kind of space to exist in the dance world. And, you know, I am somebody who is a dancer and has danced pretty seriously in my past and has been in a lot of really, really negative, exclusive, shaming dance spaces. And so it's a really important space to me for many reasons. We grow and change all the time without meaning to, so slowly and gradually that we can't always feel it. But when we try to change, deliberately, purposefully, we begin to respond not just to the world, but to our own ingrained responses to that world, changing our minds and then our actions. In this episode, our storyteller identifies a moment of action defined by love instead of fear, by empowerment instead of paralysis, a moment when those gradual changes became tangible and recognizable. Welcome to West Stories Episode 5, Fully Motivated by Love. I am a 21 going on 22-year-old woman. I identify as gay. I'm a psych major, not a psychic, um, but I'm a psych major. I feel like that's a core part of my identity. I'm a dancer. I also am an education studies minor, which is very important to me. So it was the night of my very last show in my time as a student at Wesleyan. And it's like a couple dances before mine is going to go on. 
And I normally like have, you know, a little circle up with my dancers and like give them a pep talk and thank them for dancing with me. You know, I was anticipating that this was going to be a tearjerker for me at least because it was the last one. I was definitely feeling emotional and a good chunk of the people involved are intoxicated during the show and in the audience. So I was also intoxicated, not too much, but enough that I also have been dealing with insomnia. So like I was low on sleep, intoxicated, and in this really emotionally charged situation where this show that has meant so much to me personally, it was my very last one and it was coming to an end and I couldn't process it as it was happening, but there were so many bittersweet emotions going through my head. So already ripe for something that's explosive, especially knowing me and knowing like where my, what my vulnerability factors are and like when I can get easily set off. For more context, I've had just a wild mental health journey since coming to Wesleyan. So my freshman fall, I was struggling big time, took a much needed medical leave spring semester, freshman year, and was in treatment, came back and continued to struggle had a band-aid of a relationship that helped things, but I didn't learn how to be on my own and stand on my own two feet. And then, yeah, it wasn't until my winter break of this year, senior year, um, that I kind of plunged really into the depths of the shit that I was pushing below the surface and then was in the worst mental state that I have ever been in and still came back to school for spring semester, but have been taking one class, was in treatment, um, intensive outpatient treatment, was kind of living a double life where I was in this space where I was being treated for serious mental illness and was surrounded by other people who were also being treated for serious mental illness and then returning to campus and being surrounded by this performative functionality and these expectations for productivity and like functionality, just, yeah. So all of that being said, it's a few dances before mine is going to go on and somebody approaches me knowing that I am one of the people in charge of the show and informs me that there is somebody who's backstage who is, first of all, not in the show and they're not supposed to be there if they're not in the show. Second of all, is a perpetrator and third, assaulted their friend who is backstage in the show. So this is a moment where... I'm being informed that this space that is so sacred to me and is about feeling good about yourself and feeling safe to dance when you think you can't dance and like just so much love is poured into this space that there is this person here who is ruining that for somebody and is bringing fear and violence and power into a space that just it doesn't belong in. I mean it doesn't belong anywhere but like in this space, I was like, immediately, it was like, this can't happen. And so instead of thinking for a second, oh, I should get somebody to help me handle this, like, I, even if it's not somebody else who's a member of the group that is in charge, just grab a person because who knows what I could be walking into. You know, this could be, I mean, I know that this is a dangerous individual. I know that they are capable of doing horrific things. I know that they are most likely intoxicated and you just never know. And I was also intoxicated, so that leaves me a little more vulnerable emotionally and physically. But I just, like, didn't entertain any of those thoughts. I immediately thought, 
I have to get this guy out of here for this girl. This can't happen on my watch. And like, I didn't take the time to realize like what I'm about to do has the potential to be, like I said before, dangerous and also incredibly triggering. So the friend who informed me of this person's presence points him out to me and I see him grinding on someone who I know is a freshman girl and immediately that makes it all the more disgusting and I go up to him and I pull him off of her which first of all like I just put my hands on this guy and he looks at me and he's like what what the fuck and I'm like are you in this show and he goes yeah and I go whose dance are you in he points to the girl that he was just grinding on and he goes I'm with her and I go what's her name and he says a name that is not her name and I tell him that and then he immediately bolts away and the the girl who he was dancing on looks visibly upset and so I go over to her and she's like what's going on what's going on what's going on and I don't want to tell her that this guy is a perp because he was just dancing on her and that is not fun to hear but she keeps on persistently asking she's apologizing to me and I like that hurts my heart because I don't want her to apologize in this situation at all. And so I'm trying to tell her, like, you didn't do anything wrong. And I go, he's not in the show. And she goes, I'm so sorry. Like, he's friends with some of my dancers. I should have told them not to bring him in. This is my first time choreographing. I'm so sorry. She's apologizing to me profusely. And I'm telling her, the last thing you need to do right now is apologize. And she's persistently asking me what's going on. And so I tell her, listen, I was informed he's a perp. He can't be in this space. And she looks crushed. And I mean, that's so much to process. So she looks upset. But I'm like, listen, go find a friend. I have to get this guy out. So then I, and meanwhile, again, I'm, my dance is going on very soon. And my dancers are standing and probably waiting for me. And I'm nowhere to be found. Um, so I go and I find this guy. And he is surrounded by a group of other men. And I go up to him. And again, I tell him that he is not allowed in this space. And he needs to leave. And he, I can't remember the content of the conversation, but I know I was called a bitch a few times and I know that he was belligerent and rude and was not looking me in the eye. And meanwhile, there was, like I said before, there was, he was standing among a group of other men, who knows if they were in the show, and any one of them could have taken it upon themselves to help me in this situation and say to this guy, like, bro, get the fuck out, listen to her. Or, you know, they they were a better physical match for this guy than I was. But instead, they laughed at me. They just stood there and laughed. And eventually, I was so fed up, I grabbed this guy's arm, realized he wasn't going to budge voluntarily. So I grabbed his arm and I pulled him with all my might to the door. And then I pushed him out and shut the door. And then I turn around and I see the girl who he'd been dancing on before and she's looks very upset still and I go to her and again she is apologizing to me for bringing him into the space and I am telling her please don't apologize you have done nothing wrong you are not the person to apologize in this situation and unfortunately the person who should be apologizing won't but it's not your fault so all of that goes down and then I essentially spent the rest of the night crying being comforted, still going on stage and dancing and wiping tears out of my eyes as I was walking on stage. Yeah, bolted from the scene of the show immediately after it was over and then was found by friends crying outside and then was kind of passed around to different people as I was breaking down. And I honestly can't even really remember. At some point I got really faint and was just not feeling good. I was also very intoxicated. Like at that point it really hit me that I was intoxicated. So that was the event. 
so I have plenty of experience dealing with processing rough things and anxiety and I couldn't process what had happened but the next day I woke up and often my immediate urge is to flee the scene and to avoid and I try to prevent myself from doing that but this was a time that was that I was like I deserve to step away for a second and leave these feelings because I can't process them right now so the next day I spent the whole day off campus with a friend who lives in Connecticut at her house, which is in the middle of the woods with no service, and it was great. And I just cried to her mom a little bit. And and then I came back to campus on Sunday and realized what I was stepping back into and what I needed to process. And I had this moment where, like, because I got back to campus and I, like, didn't want to sit still, so I immediately, like, went to the gym, was trying to stay busy and, like, keep my mind busy or occupied. And then as soon as I had a moment where I sat down in, in our house and had a moment to process, I just felt so bad, so horrible, and a level of horrible that I hadn't felt since I had been in treatment. And then I ended up having a kind of unexpected conversation with someone who was in my dance. She forgot something at her house the night before, so came to pick it up. And she was aware of what happened because she was one of those people who was there when I was wandering around outside and was crying and being comforted. And she said that something similar happened to her where she was with a friend at a bar and somebody who assaulted her showed up and then she took it upon herself to deal with the situation. And she said that it took her several days to just process what happened and she had breakdown moments where it was just so overwhelming and it was this very specific kind of overwhelming where it, you know, the the perpetrator that you were addressing, it's not your trauma, but of course it unearths things, having to step into that situation and taking on that kind of responsibility and doing that kind of emotional labor. And of course it was worth it and I don't regret doing it and I'm so glad I did it. But just hearing somebody else be like, yeah, this is an experience that is rightfully so. It's difficult to process and give yourself the time you need to process it. And like, I, I don't know, I just for some reason I needed someone's permission or I needed somebody to validate that what I experienced was as rough as I thought it was. Yeah, and so that I felt that conversation was really important because it kind of allowed me to admit that it was a hard thing that I dealt with. Yeah, and so it took a little while to process, took a few days, but it wasn't even that much longer. I think it was literally the next day I had this moment where I was like, fuck, I just did something incredible. The fact that I, even though it was overwhelming and understandably overwhelming and I really broke down afterwards, I just did something really fucking incredible. And I mean, it's a lot for anyone to confront a dangerous situation and to find the strength within themselves to handle it on their own but this was an especially symbolic situation for me because of past experiences that I don't feel the need to get into detail about but just experiences that have happened in my life in the past that the way I've processed it and the way that I've internalized it I just thought I didn't have any agency in anything to an extent that I, and I didn't even realize it, it had become so ingrained in the way that I thought and behaved that I wasn't aware of how much I relinquished control. Not even relinquished, control was taken from me several times in my life. And I, I don't know, I think it was the fact that it happened so many times and happened at a young age that it became, I don't want to say ingrained, it, it was like what I thought was my normal. 
And it's kind of like, I compare this, okay, <laughs> this is a silly comparison, but like, I have IBS, <laughs> irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> and I was going through a really bad bout of it junior year where I was just in constant discomfort and I was bloated every single day. And like, no matter what I tried to do, whatever I tried to eliminate from my diet, everything I was trying, my, I was just in constant pain and discomfort. And then I had like a few days where all of a sudden my stomach felt fine. And I was like, holy shit, is this normal to feel not below? Like, I I don't know. It's like you forget what normal feels like when you're just used to a constant negative state. And then you forget that it's negative and you don't realize it's negative and you become so conditioned to it. It's learned helplessness. This is a psych thing. But essentially, this moment of confronting this guy and doing so successfully and surprising myself was me realizing shit I I'm capable of so much more than I have let myself think I am but I don't want to say let myself because I refuse to take the blame for the way that experiences have shaped how I have thought about myself that the reason why it was so kind of monumental was Whenever I've experienced any triggering things in the past, it's pushed me to fear instead of empowerment. And this was the first time that I was in a triggering situation and I I was empowered. Like, okay, someone told me recently that someone she loves thinks that people are either motivated by fear or love. And I think I've spent so much of my life being motivated by fear. And this was a moment where... I was fully motivated by love because I was in a space that I love and I have contributed so much to. And I didn't know who the girl was, who her perp was there. But in that moment, I was thinking of her and I wanted to do for her what I wish somebody would do for me. Yeah, and I think that's love, even though I don't know. I have no idea who she is. (laughs) And I just realized, like, at my core, I am such a socially motivated person and I am so empathetic. I love people and I love I'm gonna cry I don't want to cry um I don't know I'm learning like just now for the first time in my life how to give to other people but also care about myself I think if the same situation had happened prior to me being in the treatment that I was in this semester or even just like a week or two before just like when I was still more fresh out of treatment I would have just crumbled I think I would have heard the word perpetrator and I would have crumbled and been terrified and the responsibility would have been handed off to somebody else. Or I would have been more crushed by it and would have had a lot more difficulty processing it. And the fact that it was a quick turnaround that I went from processing the emotions that the situation brought up to feeling empowered by it and feeling proud of myself for what I did. It's just like the the level of fear that you encounter from the present situation and just the danger of that situation and then the fear that it unearths from your past. And I dealt with all of that at once and went into this like clinical mode, not even clinical, it was strength, that's what it was. It's not about like turning off my emotions. I, I chose that I was going to act out of love and not fear in that moment. But I think that the reason I was able to do that is the consequence of me putting in so much effort to tap into like my source, which is love, and kind of chip away at the fear that's been piled onto me by experience. Like 
I feel like I've entered a new iteration of myself as a person, much more transformative than any other kind of transition in my life, just like in me as a person. I'm just like owning my shit. I got a fucking ass tattoo. I am getting my nipples pierced. I chopped off my hair. I'm I'm living <laughs> and I'm doing things for me. And But it's not a matter of being selfish. It's a matter of just taking myself into account because that's not what I was doing before. Yeah, and the way that I would focus on myself was so poisonous before. The times that I would really engage with myself ended up being self-destructive, ended up being cutting or binging and purging or thinking about killing myself or trying to kill myself. And then otherwise was just trying to feel stable. Like, okay, an image that I've talked about with my therapist is like this idea of like, I'm a body and I have all of these, you know, like you, you have a center of gravity and you have a source of stability under your two feet and you should be able to hold yourself upright by standing on your two feet. And I never quite got that. I never was putting my full weight on my feet. I had all of these ropes kind of like extending from my body that were tied to other people. And that was how I found stability. Never on my own two feet, but on what other people could hold up. And that has changed. Like I feel grounded and I feel like my source of strength for the first time is coming from me and not from everyone else who I reach out to, who I desperately reach out to and who I like send out lifelines to. And that's the most important thing, just like in, I think, in being a human is being able to center yourself and be okay with yourself because ultimately you are the only person who you will be with all the time, no matter what. And everything else is in flux and everything else is temporary or you can't quite as much as you want to like connect with a person you can never quite get in there (laughs) and you are the only thing that's so real and so present at all moments and I had willfully disengaged from myself for so long I've been told so many times throughout because I've been exposed to a ton of mental health treatment or psychiatric treatment whatever And I've been told so many times, like, you know your treatment is working and you know that you are healing and doing better when you can feel the way you think changing, when you notice that your actual thought patterns are changing and it's like your brain gets rewired. And I never believed that because it didn't happen to me until now, where I am in this state right now where my thought patterns are, feel like they're coming from a different person. Or maybe they were there all along, but they were just drowned out by the maladaptive ones. But because now so much more of my brain is utilizing these like healthier cognitive mechanisms, when the bad ones come up, I notice them and I engage with them and I'm like dissecting them and trying to understand the root of them. And I had this moment the other day where I was falling asleep and that's always when anxiety comes up the worst because, you know, your body is trying to be vulnerable and it has to be completely vulnerable to give in to sleep. And I caught myself in this thought pattern. Anxiety was coming up. And not only was I just experiencing the anxiety, but there was a layer of thought that was going, you want this, you enjoy this. You enjoy feeling anxious. You are asking for this. And I was like, holy shit, I, this is something I always think. This is always there when I'm anxious. It's another thing that comes up or it's an automatic response to feelings of anxiety is telling myself that I want it 
And when I reach out for help or when I when I've resorted to self-destructive coping mechanisms before, I always have a voice that's telling me that I want it and that I'm bringing it upon myself. And that was a big realization that literally happened two days ago. So like I'm in this place in my life right now where I am noticing and actively changing and challenging these thought patterns that have become so, like I was saying before, so normal that it loses, it loses the real sense of abnormality (laughs) that is there. So it was kind of putting this new me to the test because the reason I was able to deal with it the way I did was because I didn't resort to the normal thought patterns that would be triggered by that kind of like inciting incident. My brain has been rewired and I am thinking differently than I used to. And because of that, I behaved differently than I would have. I mean, and this is happening all the time in much smaller ways, just like, because stressors come up all the time, right? So like any stressor that comes up, I am noticing my initial thoughts that come up with it and challenging them. But this was like that, but magnified and much more emotionally charged and much more triggering and much more, I also much more emotionally charged because I was intoxicated. So just like everything that could magnify a situation was there. And that was a real test. And I did more than rise to the occasion. So I just whipped. I know you can't see this. Part of me wonders if like it had to be kind of in service of somebody else and for somebody else. Yeah, it's like first I had to do it for someone else before I could do it for myself. It's so much easier to be kind to others than it is to be kind to yourself. And for me, it's so much easier to rise to the occasion on someone else's behalf than my own. And it took a real moment of rising to the occasion for somebody else in a situation that did hit really personal places for me to then realize what I just did was for this person, but it was also for me. And... I need to embody this in my own life and it doesn't just have to be reserved for other people. I can take charge of my own life, but take charge of my own life with others in mind. I implore you, listener, don't just passively experience your own thoughts. Listen to yourself. Listen to the way that you treat yourself. Because if I had the realization a long time ago that I was engaging in all of these thought patterns that were so unfair to me and felt good enough about myself that I was willing to challenge them or able to challenge them, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it's not your fault for internalizing the shit that other people put on you. It's not your fault at all but you do have the power to reclaim yourself and like decide that you are worth more than how you've been treated and you're also just by virtue of being a person you're so powerful west stories is recorded edited and everything else by me claudia schatz with the exception of our music which was composed by julia mitchell If you have any questions, comments, just want to say hi, or best of all, have a story you'd like to tell on West Stories, please write to me at cschatz at wesleyan.edu. That's C-S-C-H-A-T-Z at W-E-S-L-E-Y-A-N dot E-D-U. You can also subscribe to West Stories on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or on Podbean, and like the West Stories Facebook page. Thanks again for listening, and we'll have more stories to share soon.